Hey everyone, welcome back to People in Crypto, a podcast where we interview people working on blockchain projects to learn more about what's going on in Web3 from the people who are building it. This podcast is part of the Blockchain at Carolina Club at UNC Chapel Hill. Today we are talking to Noe Brown. Noe is the founder and president of Blockchain at Carolina. Thank you for joining me, Noe. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so I'm super excited to talk to the president of the club that this is for. Um, but I want to start with stuff from kind of a while ago. Um, where are you from? Yeah, I'm from Durham, North Carolina. Yeah. Okay. And I know that you went to the North Carolina School of Science and Math. Um, could you mention briefly what that is? I know it's an awesome school um, and why you decided to go there. Yeah. Um, so I did. North Carolina School of Science and Math Online. So I was able to take classes that weren't offered at my base high school. So I'd mm-hmm. actually take classes like computational physics and like computational biology and really do like computer science focused classes as math because I had a really like wide array of like classes. Mm-hmm. So that was like a really big factor for me applying for math. And luckily I got in and I was able to take advantage of like those resources because not only did they have those classes, they also had like scientific journals that they were contributing to and just other resources that I thought would be like helpful for like college apps and like my interests. Yeah, that's cool. So you were already, I think you go when you're a junior in high school, right? And you were already super interested in technology and computer science. Right. Definitely. I was at Riverside, which is a, they have like a project lead the way, which is like a technology focused high school, like um, program that you can do. And I was in that. Okay. Do you have any idea why you originally got interested in computer science? Yeah, my grandmother um, was a retired engineer. So that got me like really interested into it. That is fascinating. What did she do? She worked at Fidelity and she tested um, systems and was doing like bug and errors for those. So that was like the bulk of her work. And was she like one of the earlier computer engineers like has she been doing it for a long time yeah originally when she started at fidelity she wasn't doing engineering i think she was on the finance side but then she taught herself some uh, like programming languages and then applied for that job and then got it and then that was what she was doing for like the bulk of her career that's awesome that is pretty inspiring i i don't think i've heard anyone say that their grandmother was an engineer um that's awesome. Um, so then you decided to come to North Carolina um, and you started computer science right away, right? Right. Awesome. And so how did you start to get interested in blockchain and crypto? Right. So um, as a kid, I was a really big YouTube kid. So I was on YouTube a lot and I was interested in app development. And so I guess like through like YouTube's algorithm, I start seeing videos about like blockchain technology and like stuff like that. And so I started to watch videos on different like technologies and that's what got me really started into blockchain. Around what age or grade were you watching YouTube videos about blockchain? If I have to give a date, I think probably (laughs) maybe like freshman year of high school. Yeah, like freshman year of high school or that um eighth grade it was one of those because I was like so heavy into YouTube yeah wow that seems super early so you were learning about blockchain as a freshman in high school yeah um do you remember how you first applied it or how you first like got interested in a blockchain project So I was on a robotics team in high school and what I did on that was I was programming. And so I was like able to like talk to other people about uh, like blockchain. I really didn't have any project experience. It was more so like, hey, like I bought some like a Bitcoin or I bought some Ethereum and stuff like that. So it was mostly just me kind of like going out there and like seeing what YouTube had to offer and what articles I could dig up and things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you did buy crypto when you were in high school? Yeah, I, I yeah, I saved up my money and I used it to buy Ethereum because at the time I discovered, uh, well, I started buying crypto. It was like Bitcoin's price was already like through the roof. And I think like Ethereum was maybe like 10 bucks or something. Yeah. Well, that is a great investment. Um, 
that's really funny. That's a great story. Um, and then you decided to found the blockchain club here. So what kind of went into that decision? You've been thinking about blockchain stuff for over five years. Um, so can you tell me about the founding story? Yeah, definitely. Um, so really the main reason I found it is because we had, we didn't have any classes that were talking about blockchain and there wasn't really resources to go and learn more within UNC's like curriculum. So a big thing that I thought would be helpful was a hub to like understand blockchain and provide resources for people who are curious because we didn't have classes that offered it. And there wasn't really any computer science club or econ club really talking about it. So when I founded it, I was really just thinking about a way to provide resources because it is a trending topic and it is definitely a new area in computer science that I think we should focus more on and get people prepped to like transition to. So that was a big reason. And I saw when I was doing research, I saw other clubs like UC Berkeley that had blockchain hubs. And basically what they were doing was just an education resource, like doing videos and anybody could watch them on YouTube. And that was pretty cool because I use those resources to learn. So I thought it'd be helpful to have it at UNC. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's super cool. So how did you get the first few people to join the club? Now, this is actually pretty funny. Um, for the first people that joined the club, it was actually just my friends. Because mm -hmm. to start the club on like for like forums and logistics reasons, I had texted one of my friends, Austin. I was like, hey, Austin, do you <laughs> want to be VP of the club? And Austin's like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And then I'm like, okay, <laughs> great. And then I sent like a request after we had like got approval for the club. I sent requests to like a couple of friends I had. So we had like our first little five members. And I was like, hey, you guys, you guys just got a request from Blockchain of Carolina, etc it's my club um yeah like get excited about it yeah yeah that's funny so when did it start to become outside of just your friend group and were, were there any surprises like was there an amount of interest that surprised you or how did it grow into something more right so um we actually this is we've been a club for one year now this is, mm -hmm. this is we were founded last February so around maybe March I think is when we had more people and people started like email me and be like, hey, how can I get a part of the club? Because I had sent out an email through the computer science department. I was like, hey, can you send out this email to all your like computer science majors that there's an opportunity to be a part of this club? And then um, it was more so to recruit people to be on the exec board, but then people like who didn't want to be on the exec board or just wanted to be like a part of the club just started requesting membership. And then that's how we got like the ball rolling. That's really cool. Have you had any members that came in as super beginners or do people tend to have a good bit of knowledge well, I feel like our our um our base is pretty evenly spread I feel like even on our exec board uh some of the people don't really have that much knowledge about blockchain just have an interest in it and know that it's going like in a positive direction and kind of want to be a part of it so I feel like most like at least half our people are like newbies and like the other half are like have some experience mm -hmm. okay that's awesome and you mentioned that you started the club last February, a year ago. And I know that that's about the time you started working at a blockchain company, if I'm not mistaken. So can you tell me why you decided to work for this company? I know it's called Super World and what they do and what you did or do for them. Yeah, actually, well, Super World is a lot like Meta, which is so ironic because that's such a big thing now. Um, on Superworld, you can buy real estate in like the 3D world. So you take a, you have like the globe and then they have this virtual map on top of the globe. And so using their technology, they plotted out these like, I think like a million plots of land. And so you can buy these plots of land and through the app, you can make a 3D kind of like um, festival or you could do like, say I'm walking down Franklin and you own like a block of Franklin. Say you want to like make a a squid museum or something like that. And you can have like all these squids that you see through the app when you're walking down the street. And so it's basically like a, a platform where you can buy virtual land and throw virtual like events on top of the land. That's like the main marketing for Super World. And so for this, I was a blockchain development intern. I wrote smart contracts and Ethereum. And so I did that, but I also did a lot of research because I have like a really huge research background. So I was researching new blockchain technologies that we can integrate on the platform and um, doing like data analysis on like blockchain stuff. Wow, that's awesome. So 
with Superworld, is it like an augmented reality play? Like you can throw a squid party or something by holding up your phone camera to what you're actually looking at? Right, yeah, it, it integrates like AR, VR and um, blockchain technology to like combine the two to make like an interactive environment. And is the blockchain use case so you can easily track who has bought which plots of land and you're buying it with crypto and that kind of stuff? Yeah, that's more so where the blockchain comes in because it's not really, it's a it's not really a huge element of it, but it is like a part of it. And then they're starting, uh, an exchange where like you can buy NFTs also. So like, it's kind of, they're kind of covering more bases since they already have this like smart contract developed. So they're trying to branch mm. out with that. So I know Decentraland is, seems kind of similar. It's like yeah. you can buy plots of land with crypto, um, but I'm not sure if it's, you know, augmented reality and that you're blo- buying blocks of the actual earth. I think it's just like a graphical world that you can buy land. So with Superworld, is it the only one that is you you can buy you know digital plots of land that are actually represented on the real earth? Yeah, as far as I know, that Superworld's the only one that's doing it where you connect the real world to like this virtual reality instead of just having strictly virtual reality. Got it. Cool. And do you own any blocks of land? No, I do not. I'd say um, I joined Superworld at like a point where they've already had like. A ton of funding and so like it's already like well known and so like a lot of the plots have been like bought up and their their funding is it from any names people would know like i i'm surprised i haven't heard of this project seems super cool um but who who have they raised money from actually that is a great question for funding okay. um i think that they're private so i don't think i actually like anyone knows who they get their funding from so yeah but I know that we have enough for like us to have like a headquarters in Texas and like for all of us to be working there and whatnot. That's super exciting. Um, can you dig a little bit on what you were doing? I know that the point of the blockchain aspect of Superworld was, you know, tracking and buying and selling who owns different blocks of land. And you were working on smart contracts. Um, what was your micro project that you have been working on? And you're still working there, right? Um, no, I just finished off this month. Yeah. Okay. So you just stopped. So can you say about one or two, uh, problems that you were solving there? Right. Um, most of my time spent there, I worked on smart contracts. So for the smart contracts, we were really trying to add different features to them. So see, like we could do auction prices. So that was a feature that I added to add auctions to the smart contract that we use for the NFTs. Um, another thing that I did was I used, I'm trying to think what else I did. And I feel like I did so much. Um, I added basically, yeah, I just added functionalities to the smart contract, like auction prices, when it closes, when it opens. And I know it sounds like super like boring and bland, but it's like the small, like finicky details that go into, um, you know, having a smart contract and selling things like the things that you necessarily don't think about. So that was mostly what I did. Yeah. Cool. And that, is all was that all in solidity is that the language yeah okay and so are they only buying and selling land in eth yeah got it so can you tell me about if i wanted to buy a block of franklin street um and could you tell like the user story if i'm trying to buy some of franklin street and like where what you worked on would come into play like if there were an auction for a block of land what would it look like for me and where would I be interacting with your code? Right. So um, if you were trying to buy something on Superworld, first you like log in, set up your account, and then you go to the marketplace. And so once you're at the marketplace, you see my backend work for the marketplace. So when I was developing the auction, like the sale price, like that whole entire like chunk of like buying something is code that I worked on. I, it was only two of us working on the um, the solidity code so it's like most of like what you see when you're like trying to buy something everything that you're interacting with the back end of it is what I did and like the front end was done by a different team but like the actual logistics that go into like transferring like ethereum from your wallet and then purchasing it and placing a bid and then the bid closing were like things I implemented in the smart contract that's really amazing and impressive but I know you're no longer 
working there and you're planning to work at HashiCorp. Yes. Um, they're also in blockchain, right? So can you tell me about the decision to work there and what they do? So HashiCorp, they are a cloud server like um, company. And so they offer a lot of products to deal with like the cloud. So like cybersecurity, a very popular um, product they have is Vault that manages API keys and who has access and who doesn't have access to these private keys. And so when I work there this summer, I'll be working with those servers and data. And so I'll be working on the cybersecurity portion. Um, yeah, that's basically what HashiCorp does, yeah. Cool. So to someone who doesn't know a lot about this, which is me, it seems like Superworld is kind of like more relatable, personable, um, would be more exciting to the general person. So why would you prefer or why do you want to work at HashiCorp? Not necessarily over Superworld, but stopping Superworld and, and are excited to be at HashiCorp. Yeah, I'm super excited to be at HashiCorp because I definitely have like the feeling that data is the future and the direction that we're really going towards. And so I definitely wanted to transition what I was doing to that. And also I've been um, kind of working on like a startup idea where we're analyzing um, blockchain data to better censor how blockchains are being like distributed through different um, platforms. And just to also understand more on the pricing side and predictions for that. And so analyzing data and working with servers seemed like a logical direction for me to go towards. And also, um, since we're dealing with data and blockchain is definitely just like a different form of data, I thought that it would be cool to kind of see this aspect rather than the super world aspect where I was just working on smart contracts and not really doing analysis, which I'm like more used to doing. Mm -hmm. you, you're more used to doing analysis? Yeah. Got it. Um, can you... Tell me in what way maybe you're used to doing analysis. And I would really love to know if you are willing to hear a more fleshed out version of what kind of your idea is for a blockchain data company. Gotcha. Um, so I have like a really large research background for my past three years at um, Carolina. I've always been in a lab. Right now I'm in a lab at Duke. But this past summer I did research at Duke. I did COVID research. And so doing that, I did a lot of analysis because we use health codes billing data, which you really aren't supposed to use for like research because it, like you have to filter through it to get the information that you need. And so we use that data to understand how privately insured kids in North Carolina, if they were still getting their routine immunizations for like smallpox and stuff like that. And so that was like one of the projects that I did. And then for like the past two years, I've been at um, the Manus lab where I look at how changes in the potassium ions in our brain kind of affect how we listen and how changes in those potassium ion channels have the capacity to alter our sounds. So that was like, that's mostly what I've done. And so in doing those things, a lot of what I've did is mathematical modeling. And it's just trying to recreate these like phenomenons that are happening into a smaller, simple like graph where we can understand and possibly make predictions. So that's really most of like the work that I've done in research. And so like having that mathematical modeling background for like the startup that I'm planning to like get a, like a hold of, we're really a big thing that is happening right now is that the US is trying to like sanction cryptocurrencies because there's a big idea of like money laundering and not really knowing where these like large amounts of like crypto assets are going and like evasion of taxes. And so the concept behind like the blockchain startup is would be a way to mediate these large transactions to provide data for governments to use to um, catch these money laundering schemes. And so that's like the main premise behind it. I feel like there's definitely still like a lot of work to go, but like the main idea is just kind of making a system that makes these transactions a little bit more trackable, even though that's like against like the whole purpose of the transactions. But like when you have these big, like $1 million, $2 million Ethereum, like transfers from wallet to wallet, like flagging those for like potential like warnings. Yeah, that's really interesting. I know a big, um, what a lot of people talk about is a great uh, benefit of blockchain is that it's so trackable and all of it is distributed for anyone to look at. But I feel like, or I know, or I think that actually looking at the data is very difficult, um, but it's possible. So is that kind of where you want to come in? Because, you know, 
the promise of blockchain is that you can audit everything, but it's hard. Yeah. So like, yeah, definitely like the, the software would definitely be used to audit because the real issue is that we see the, the transactions, but we don't know who they're going to because there are these encrypted wallets. Like you just have no clue where these wallets belong. And you just, I know like all the time you look in the news, you're like, oh, these crypto whales have transferred like a billion dollars from one wallet to another. So it's like flagging things like that and trying to really get a grip on how we could best kind of like stop that or best at least know that it's going on when like inflections that it might have on the price. And why, why do you think that is important or why, how'd you get this idea over all kinds of other things you could possibly do? Yeah, um, I definitely got this idea because I felt that it has like a really large applicability to governments. And I felt that it would be something that since everyone is like over here doing sanctions about blockchain and very like scared in a sense about like where blockchain is going and how to track it i thought it would be like kind of like ahead of the curve in that sense but also um i just think that it's really interesting to look at data so that was like i knew whatever i was going to do with like a blockchain startup would be data focused and wouldn't be like like an nft platform or like web3 even though like it's going to incorporate elements of web3 like it wouldn't be like that huge of a focus yeah, that makes sense. It, and it seems like, you know, where you're coming at it is like these NFT platforms or Web3 tokenomics type plays are are really risky compared to something in data where it can be used widely across all different, you know, blockchain systems versus, you know, it has to get a bunch of hype around it. Um, yeah, that, that that's great. That's a very cool mission. I want to hear more about your research background, because that seems totally unrelated, uh, yeah. all this, all this health research that you're doing. Um, can you say why you're doing that? I know, I think you're probably your computer science skills help a lot because you're looking at data. Um, so why, why do you have this deep interest in health research? Right. So going into UNC, I was actually pre-med. <laughs> so that was a big reason why I did research in a part of my um, scholarship. I'm a chancellor science scholar at UNC. And so a part of that is that we have to do research. And so I was like, okay, like I'm interested in neuroscience. I was pre-med. I was very like enthralled with kind of like neuroscience and like everything that has to offer. And so when I was able to join a neuroscience lab, I like hopped on it. And then like um, most labs, they're always looking for computer science people. So that was like my advantage. And so when I started this research, I was like, okay, this is, this is cool. I like it. And then I really like the aspect of mathematical modeling. It's kind of like taking these numbers and kind of like representing real world things. So it's kind of like really like doing applied math. And so that's really the main gist of why I started doing research because at first it kind of seems like so like different from what I'm doing now, but it ended up being like really helpful. That's awesome. And you were talking about, you know, predicting, what was it, memory or, or hearing yeah. based on potassium in the yeah, brain? We're, we're looking at um, potassium ion channels and like how changes in those channels could potentially alter your hearing. It's very like on the ground work and like in the sense that it's kind of like one of like the first couple of studies that's looking at it and so um mostly my work was just trying to get the model to work and trying to see what data we could extract from the model which is kind of funny because the lab that I'm working at right now at Duke we're kind of we're not doing the same thing but we're doing the same thing in the sense where it's like the first of its kind of like project that's going. The research I'm doing at Duke is that we're using um, this new type of laser to, this is like, I'm laughing because it's so like, so like ironic and it's so like off topic, but yeah. Um, we're using this new type of laser to see if we can get signals from different areas of the brain and what these areas can tell us. And so it would be like an alternative to like an fMRI where it wouldn't be as invasive. It would probably be, it would be quicker and just seeing if these signals were actually be useful instead of um, just doing a whole like fMRI scan. So in the new research that you're doing, you say it's first of its kind and, and the goal is to use a laser instead of fMRI, what, is, what does that mean? Yeah, so we're like, literally we're holding like a invisible laser to our heads and we're, um, 
giving instruction. So we were doing Broca's area. So we were reading and not reading. So for the first 10 seconds, we would be silent and we just have laser to our head. And then for the following 10 seconds, we'll read something on like a piece of paper. And we're trying to see if that there's changes in the signals because we know about Broca's area that it deals with um, like speech. So the job of the laser is really just trying to see that if these signals are legible and they can tell us something useful or if these signals are just like uninterpretable and like this laser is not working so that's like the it sounds like I feel like it sounds kind of like futuristic like using a laser but really it's just like the beam being like held up to your head and it's kind of like trying to see signals just invisible light that you put it point to your head and it can theoretically how would it receive signals I, that, that's a hard part because the laser is the laser, like the reason that this is so like a new study is because this laser has just been like invented. And so like the fact that we have, it's kind of like so random, but yeah. Um, I think from my understanding is like, I guess refractions from the laser and that's how we get signals, but I'm not really sure about that. I couldn't tell you all that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is fascinating. High tech stuff. So where do you think you can be the most helpful when you're doing research is it with these i don't know if you're you're coding mathematical models um but do you have a spot where you either like it the most or you find you know you're really adding value to the team um so when we're doing this test like when we're talking and not talking and doing like running all those tests we have to put it into um matlab and so we're writing a program to understand the data and to analyze if it's actually like telling us something important or if it's not like actually important so most of like my contribution to the team is like doing these tests and sitting through these trials and then adding my um like my coding expertise i guess per se to the matlab and seeing okay if we change this code is there like a way that we can create like a data plot or some type of like system where we can see if these changes are sporadic or not and so a lot of it's just me programming and kind of like trial and error with the code got it yeah that that is incredible stuff and i'm so interested in the combination of that and you know working at superworld and blockchain and now at HashiCorp. is there like a theme to it? is there any type of skill set that you're really interested in building or some yeah what kind of skills you want to master in your yeah. mind I definitely think that data science is always at like the forefront of like anything that I'm doing. So I really think that data and the way we see it being used now, like user data is so important. We're like quantifying what it's worth and like companies are getting paid large amounts of money to like have our data. And so obviously like, I, like seeing that it's like, okay, like the information that I'm freely giving away when I use like Facebook or something, it's valuable and seeing that, okay, this, research this mass massive load of research can be quantified and we can see oh like people that do xyz are probably going to do like a different event and being able to have like that predictive model for like behavior spending things like that which is really interesting to me and it's like it's also super like economical in the sense where it's like okay like data like it's not free but like it's easy to extract and so being able to like easily extract this data and analyze it was super interesting to me. And so my research like experience was analyzing data that we already had. And then like HashiCorp is kind of like how this data gets stored. And Superworld was kind of like understanding different types of data structures like blockchain and how to use that. So I think that's kind of how all three of them link together. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Super interesting. Um, you mentioned using data with historical uh, historical data to then make a model or predict something in the future. Um, and that's certainly valuable in all kinds of things. Is there anything that you think is the most interesting or like what would be your ideal application of you could take in as much data as you wanted, interpret it, and then come up with something useful out of it? What what would be like your favorite application of that? I don't know. I mean, I, if I have to think, I really like environmental science, which is, I think, also super random. So I think if we could, which is, it's already being done where we're looking at like environmental science models and seeing predictions of like what the world's going to look like in a couple of years if we keep like polluting at the same rates. But I think it would be interesting to use um, these predictive models for housing. I think housing crisis is really like a huge problem in that most of us are going towards like rentership versus owner. 
ownership. So if we could do a model that did like tracking like the housing market and looking at like population size and what like our potential future for how we take up space would be, I think that'd be pretty interesting because like obviously there's like a finite amount of space that we can take up and that if buildings keep getting built and like the way that inflation's happening, I think it's just kind of like interesting to look at like the housing market, which I think is kind of random, but also seeing how the housing market is infecting, um, affecting uh, environmental science. How would housing affect environmental science? Yeah, so um, definitely, even if you like take a look through Durham, my hometown, it definitely, like when I was in high school, it did not look like that. A lot of new constructions are being taking place. And so because of that, we have like an increase in population in Durham. And so we're looking at kind of environmental racism in Durham and seeing how different areas, how um, the water system works. We're looking at how different areas, I know if you're in one part of downtown and like the lighting goes out, like there's a problem with Duke Energy, one side of town, you know, it gets fixed ASAP. And then when you go to the other side of town, they're out of like power for days. So it's kind of that introspective look at how housing and how environmental crisis, like maybe there's like a hurricane or if there's like a huge rainstorm, how the housing in one area, how they get treated and how in a different area, they um, get treated like better or worse. And so when we look at increasing the population sizes in towns like Durham, we obviously have to look at like, busing i know that um and here in chapel which is an amazing program that we don't ever have to pay for buses because buses are free in chapel but in durham they don't have programs like that implemented and then the increase in cars and people and just overall pollution light pollution which is also like a really huge problem that no one really talks about because no one's really concerned about light pollution into like all the stars we can't see new stars anymore <laughs> but like yeah so i think that's like the main emphasis like the different ways, like as more people come, the different ways we continue to pollute the areas that we love and how that affects the environment. Yeah, that's super interesting. You have all these wide ranging interests. I want to know more about what data you would kind of want to collect in that area and what it would be used for. Would you collect a bunch of data to show that there are these people getting treated different ways uh, when power goes out and present that to a government or what kind of data would you really want, like the most valuable things you think you could collect? And then what would you do with that? Would it be a governmental thing or some other way of solving the problem? I think essentially like data I would collect would be looking at renter prices over like the change in time and also looking at like the increase in renters. I think um, those would probably be the two main things I look at. And then of course, probably more like a questionnaire like how's your experience with powder power outages how's your experience with living here um just like social problems so tying in like the cost of your rent how does this tie into how you're treated in the place that you live and so i think i would try to correlate those two that's fascinating yeah i would love to see you do that project um well we've talked about all kinds of different interests you have and that this has been awesome I would like to bring it back to UNC Blockchain Club um, as that's the reason we're doing this. Um, so I wanna ask, um, what is everything the club does right now? And what do you think it is the best at? Right, um, right now our main focus is hosting workshops. And of course, um, this podcast, those are our two main things that we do. Um, I, considering both, I think we're best at hosting our workshops, I think providing free resources to people to learn more about blockchain is really our big focus. And like even in this podcast, having different people talk about their experiences and how they got to it is learning in a sense. So I think the best thing we really do is just teach and educate about blockchain and different people who are in it. I kind of get the sense that you want um, the future to have blockchain in it in some way. Um, and your company idea about, you know, trying to catch fraud would definitely help. It would make it safer. Um, the blockchain club, of course. Um, so why this kind of speaks to why you think UNC needs a club, but is there any other reason why any university would need a blockchain club or UNC specifically? Why, why do we need this? Right. I definitely think um, blockchain is really at the forefront of the direction that we're going in. And so not having an understanding of like simple blade, like block 
blockchain basics really kind of leaves you and your university behind. I think as our computer science department, as we've seen at UNC, our computer science department has been so overcrowded that to the point where now, you know, it's an application-based system to be a computer science major. And so like, if we're acknowledging the fact that so many people are interested in computer science, it kind of feels like um, kind of failure not to have blockchain and the new cutting edge uh, softwares kind of being at the forefront of our education. Uh, we have classes like quantum computing, which is also like super amazing and something that's super like new and cutting edge. But I think it's also super important to incorporate blockchain, which has this huge backing in it, especially in recent years. And we're seeing so many cool projects being developed and people really using blockchain in different circumstances that we've never thought of before. Yeah. So do you think or have you thought about um, helping UNC students in that there's such a giant demand for blockchain engineers and like the supply and demand is so, you know, unbalanced that you can make tons of money in it and you have, you know, your pick of jobs. Has that come up at all, either in your own life or in thinking about helping UNC students get into blockchain? Yeah, definitely. Um, luckily, I was able to go and intern at Superworld, which how I got my like solidity background and being able to have like a mentor that like teaches me some of the aspects of, like blockchain that are super complicated that you can't learn from like YouTube videos and you can't learn from like books. And so like a really big thing for blockchain at Carolina is really um, kind of connecting students to opportunities like Superworld or connecting to opportunities where they can get like an in-depth knowledge of Solidity and the various other like tools that you need because all of these tools are, they're not new, but they're relatively new in the sense that um, we don't take those, like we don't learn Solidity in our classes. We learn like Java and Python. And so it's like you, if you have a grasp of like a knowledge like Python, then converting over to Solidity wouldn't be so hard. It's like, really bridging the gap and allowing for, hey, I have this interest in blockchain and I have this previous knowledge. So how can I combine the two to get like my end result, which is like a job in crypto or to really be involved in crypto? I have two follow-ups and they're pretty different. I wanna know how uh, the transition is from Java and Python, the traditional languages, computer science kids learn. Um, and then I also, after that, wanna hear about how the club is connecting people to Superworld, like if there are any examples of uh, kids getting connected to crypto companies. Definitely. Um, I'm gonna answer your first one first. I mean, your second one first. <laughs> okay. Um, first, um, I get a lot of emails talk from different um, students who are interested in getting involved in the club. And a lot of them also have like their own startups going on. So a lot of my like emailing that I do, it's really connecting people to potential like job listings for crypto, especially intern positions where they can learn things. So a lot of that's been like, if you email me, I'm like, hey, like I'm interested in blockchain. Like, I know you guys are doing a club, but like, what are some other resources? I'm definitely like emailing back. I'm like, hey, like you can do X, Y, Z. And then also connecting those people to other emails that I've received that are like, hey, we have like this startup, we're looking for engineers. Like I know some, like I've had, I think three companies hit me up with like, okay, I have um, this blockchain project and I need engineers. Is there anybody on your exec board? Is there anybody in your club that would be interested? So kind of like taking those emails that I've got, like, oh, I'm interested in doing stuff and like, hey, I have stuff for you to do and just like connecting those two. And so, yeah, that's like the main reason I did that. And then your first question, can you repeat it? Yeah. What is, is the transition like between uh, the typical languages, Java, Python, and then learning Solidity? How difficult is it? Right. Um, so for like languages like Python and Java that have been like so widely used, there's like an endless amount of resources. Like there's you any problem that you have, someone's probably already had that problem and you can look on Stack Overflow and you're like, okay, there's my, the solution to that problem. But I think when it comes to Solidity, it's more so like, okay, there's resources there, but to use Solidity, you have to use different platforms to test smart contracts. And so it's kind of like, you have to get over the barrier of learning the language. You have to get over the barrier of testing like what you do in these smart contracts. And then you also have to get over the barrier of like, okay, you have to understand how Ethereum works. Like there's a certain amount of gas, which is like the, what it costs to run certain, um, functions on the blockchain and it's kind of like you have to learn like like an economic aspect to it and you also have to learn like the other things that I mentioned whereas Java like there is a cost but that doesn't really appear until you start working with like data and 
servers. Like if I if I did my website right now, it wouldn't be. I have to like figure out gas and how like different things affect it. It's not as I I would like to say like multifaceted and complex in the sense that Solidity is. So there's definitely since there's so much added functionality with it being a distributed ledger, it comes with a lot of added, or maybe not a lot, but definitely added difficulty. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely see that since it is such like a, a different data structure than what we're used to, it has all these different catch-alls where it's like, okay, I can do this cool thing, but I need to know how this is affects all the other cool things I'm trying to do with Solidity. And so it's kind of balancing the things that I want to do and like kind of like garbage collecting and figuring out like what I need to do in order to actually execute my project is really like a big jump when it comes to Solidity that you don't really have to deal with other languages because it kind of handles it for you. And if you don't know how to do it, there's some huge like reference to how to do it. Got it. Yeah. And how can you briefly say how you learned it? Yeah, definitely. A, a big part of my learning was looking like reading books like it's so like it's kind of like obscene, like me reading a book to like learn how to do blockchain. But especially like in certain years, like they've done like the like for dummies books, like the blockchain analytics one. That's one that I've definitely read. And then a big part of me learning was my experience in my internship. I had someone who like been in the space who had been programming the space way longer than like I have explained different logistical things. And since it is like a lot of data structure work, I think it's like a lot of hierarchical, like computer science knowledge that I really think is like deeply ingrained. And so that's like the parts that's hard for me as like an undergrad. It's like, okay, like I understand like data structures, but like taking it to this level, is kind of like, oh, that's such a jump, that's such a leap. Got it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I, I want to get back to how people are emailing you. Um, and you are definitely a rare person sitting as a junior in college, president of Blockchain Club, um, already having experience working at a Web3 company. Um, but so I imagine that gets people reaching out to you. So what what is like the ratio between people, engineers who want some coding experience in blockchain versus people with companies that are asking for engineers you might know? Right. Um, I feel like most of the emails I get are mostly people reaching out to get experience. I feel like I've had like a maybe like five or six emails where it's like, okay, I have this like idea and I'm working with a couple friends or I'm a company and I'm like, I see that you're like doing this at Carolina could you connect us to some of your undergraduates? Um, it's more so, yeah, it's like, that's pretty much the breakdown for that. And so basically I feel like a lot of my emails are more so trying to get that experience and trying to get the, their foot in the door. That's super cool. I didn't really even think about that as a possible aspect of the club, but I absolutely think it is. I mean, uh, founding the club um, gives you that credibility that people can just reach out to and, you obviously have both sides of that market where you know the engineers and you know companies out because they're just reaching out to you. Um, so I, I just think that's really interesting. Um, can you, I mean, I'm sure if someone doesn't mind, if a company or a project doesn't mind, is there an example of someone that reached out to you and you were like, yep, yeah, I have a job for you here? Yeah, definitely. I, um, there was this company it's from UNC undergrads and they were doing like a social media, a web three based social media. And so they actually had DM me on Instagram, which is, I think is so funny. Um, and they're like, Hey, like, I see that you're like, um, president of this club right now. And at the time it was only the only people that were members of the club were the exec board and my couple of friends. So I had got that, um, DM and I was like, Hey, you guys, like I gave it to the exec board and I gave it to like the other couple of members that we had, I said, hey, like this company is looking for like Web3 engineers that are doing like development. And so I was able to connect um, members of my exec board to that company. I don't know if they like follow through or not, but I was able to at least connect them and be like, hey, like they're trying to do something and I know you want more experience, like here you go. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. That is awesome. And has there been a company that reached out to you asking for talent that you thought was super cool or thought you was super interesting um not really I feel like most of them have just been looking for like I feel like like something you highlighted earlier is like there's such a huge demand for like 
blockchain engineers and there's so few because it's like such like a, a new like erupting thing so I feel like the bulk of my emails have just been looking for like hey do you have someone that could work on this project who has experience and so I feel like a lot of people are trying to get like their foot off the ground in their projects and that's like probably why got it yeah that's awesome that's definitely cool that you can be a connector of those two things um back to the club and being on campus um what would you say is your dream outcome for the club in five years uh you can have as many people as you want in it um and there's just not that many obstacles what what ends up being the dream outcome what do you hope this could finally be um I think my dream outcome would definitely be hosting some type of like hackathon or a hackathon adjacent event for blockchain in Carolina where we could have a weekend where people come from surrounding like RTP schools or even like virtually attend a hackathon where we go through like these small like seminar sessions where we teach basics and teach them solidity where they could go and make like cool projects and develop them over the weekend that we're there I think that's always like I love hackathons and like a big like a part of my upbringing, I would always look up for like junior league hackathons where I could like go virtually or go in person. And so like having that, I feel like is, would be like the bulk of what we're trying to do, which is teach and teach you how to use and then implement. And so a hackathon really like achieves all of that, like in a weekend. And I think it also gets people super excited about like the future of the club. So I think that would be like the major goal. Got it. And I know this is your last semester as president. You're moving on to senior advisor after this semester. So in terms of making a hackathon happen, do you think you're going to work on that this semester or senior year or at all? Definitely senior year. Since I'll be like a more of a hands-off role as senior advisor, I definitely will be working on the funding aspect of getting us the funds to make Blockchain at Carolina Hackathon happen and figure out like if it's going to be actual hackathon, if it's just going to be like a seminar weekend, like figuring out logistics. So if maybe we could do it next year or have it the year after and just really secure like a basis of what our idea is for like this weekend at Blockchain at Carolina. Awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. And you mentioned you've had a lot of hackathon experiences. So what what kind of has been your favorite one and why do you like them? Yeah, I actually, I I think it's Long Island Hacks. I can't, I think it's Long Island Hacks. So I went all the way to Long Island for hackathon. It was during like winter break, I think when I was in high school. And like somehow I convinced my mom to like, let me do, go do this. So we drove there. My aunt lives in New Jersey. So it was kind of like, kind of closest proximity. And so I drove up there and I did the hackathon and my favorite like experience about that was just like the energy. Like it's so, I feel like hackathons like really promote like a thrive culture of like creating an idea and really like working towards it. I feel like a lot of times we have ideas and for whatever reason, we don't really like implement them. They're just kind of like things floating in our head. But like in a hackathon, it really pushes you to do that. So when I went to Long Island for this hackathon, it was like so much fun. And then it was a junior one. So it was like high school kids from that area coming to do the hackathon. So working on a team with people who kind of had the same interest in like app development and like figuring out cool things. And just really having like a community, which I like, I hope to have like Blockchain Carolina, like a really a community that's all interested in the same things, was really like important to me because I feel like where I was in like life at that time is like I don't really have that many people to talk to about like, things that I'm interested in, and so the hackathon like provided like a different opportunity for that. Got it. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, we're wrapping up here, but I want to know. Um, where do you want to go with blockchain in your career? I know we talked about a bunch of different projects and, and data and stuff, but do you ideally want to start your own thing? Do you want to work at a big blockchain company, a big company in general? Do you have any ideas? Yeah, um, I'm really hoping either to start my own thing with like blockchain analytics or kind of do like venture capitalism. I think I have like a really good understanding of blockchain technology itself and like adding my expertise to blockchain and being like, hey, like, I think this company is like really awesome. And like, we should invest and this has great potential to have like great social impact. And so I feel like either like both of those things, I feel like to some degree involve data and involve like really analyzing and doing research. And that's like at the core what I love to do. So those would be like my hopes. Awesome. And I usually ask at the end, what kind of projects 
you think are super exciting or you have been following recently, but you brought up venture capital. Uh, so I want to end on, are there certain investors that you, you follow a lot or think are cool? Because I know there's tons of money going in. There's the big ones are like Andreessen is all up in Web3 and Pantera is another one. And all these crypto companies are creating their venture arms as well to invest in crypto companies. So is there an investor person or investor firm that you you follow and think has exciting projects? Definitely. Uh, Alexa Sohanian, who was one of the co-founders for Reddit. Reddit. Yes, I love his work. I've been following for like forever. And I think that his investments have been um, very interesting. He was an early investor in Coinbase, which I was like, okay, that's so freaking cool. So I'm like, I really like his like ideology when it comes to investments and really creating an environment that's inclusive for everyone. And also it's kind of like, I wanna educate people on how these technologies are being used. He's a huge advocate for like data privacy and especially when it comes to monopolies with like internet companies and people not having access to the internet because of Wi-Fi prices and things like that. So I think that I like that he has the knowledge to use it and make it applicable to everyone and make it super inclusive, but also like investing in these really awesome companies because like, you know, Reddit was super cool and it's kind of like, okay, I had this super cool idea and now I can invest in other super cool ideas. It's like amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. He is a, a great guy. I've heard him on a few podcasts. Um, what projects has he kind of gone into recently that you've read about? Um, and I think I just wanted to clarify, you also mentioned he has a, a social mission to some of his investments. So has there been a company that kind of goes towards those social missions that he's recently invested in? Yeah, um, I haven't been keeping up with it that much, but I know like something that was really huge that he just did was like a Fiji cam, which is like a Polaroid. It's like it's nothing to do with Web3 or anything like new, like revolutionizing, but like it's Polaroids are really such a popular thing. And then um, we typically take them with the cameras, but that has like a lot of waste when we use those Polaroids. And so if we had it on like an iPhone app instead of using like these like plastic cameras with these like disposable films and all of these kind of like issues um, instead using the app, which makes it okay, you can have your access to your Polaroids instantaneously. And you can also like limit and like emissions that we use for creating like these um, cameras in these films. So I think that was kind of like a big thing. And also it was just like a really like huge thing for like people in our age group. Cause I guess we use like Polaroids. We're like bringing it back. Polaroids are super cool now. So I thought that was like a, it was an interesting investment but it was also interesting to see like possible like social impacts that are broader than just taking pictures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. So the idea is you have a physical camera but automatically uploads to the app on your phone. Yeah, and it like has like the ingrained effect that like Polaroids have that like something that's really hard that people have been trying to like capture. And so like it does that. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's super cool. Thank you for sharing that. Um, well, we are out of time, sadly. This has been an amazing interview, Noe. So thank you so much. I know and hope that we'll probably talk again on here in a while. Thank you, Noe, for your time, and thank you to everyone listening. If you or someone you know is working on a crypto project and would be willing to share it with us, please reach out. I'll leave all of my information in the notes, and I can put Noe's information there too. I'll see you all next time.